Hardcore boy. That's Nigerian singer Duncan Mighty proudly proclaiming his roots in the biggest port city in the Niger River Delta. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. This edition, Hip Deep in the Niger Delta, a story of war, oil, and the power of music in Nigeria, past and present. Duncan Mighty honors his sport hardcore roots, but like so many musicians from the Delta, finding success meant leaving the region for the capital, Lagos. Entertainment is no longer working in Portacot. It used to be the center of attraction. Everybody, no matter where you were, people love coming to Portacot because we have everything here then. But because of the militancy, the fight, and everything started shifting away. Go back to Lagos, Calabar, or wherever. You see them organizing big shows. But those things are no longer happening here in Portacot because of all these troubles. That's Frederick Rex Lawson, grandson of Cardinal Rex Jim Lawson, one of the greatest high-life stars of the 1960s and also a son of the Niger Delta. Rex Lawson's music had the power to envelop you, who possess you. He was the champion of indigenous music, using indigenous materials in high life. And his philosophy could just educate East or West, not or South. The way that he was approaching humanity and God. That's Professor Onyen Mompa, the Rex Lawson Chair at the University of Port Harcourt and our guest today. In between the rise of Rex Lawson and the era of Duncan Mighty, Nigeria experienced the Biafra Civil War and a series of governments allied closely with oil companies working in the Niger Delta to enrich a small elite. They polluted much of the Delta in the process, most famously the once beautiful and fruitful Ogoni land. But, as historian Mark Levine points out, there is a hopeful side to this story. The movement for the survival of the Ogoni people is one of the few indigenous communities that ever actually pushed out an oil company from their region. And as we'll see when we visit Ogoni land later in the program, musical activists there continue to strive for a better future. But first, let's go back to 1960, the dawn of independence in Nigeria. A time when a bloom of high-life music, mostly from eastern Nigeria, was the pride of West Africa. Here's a classic from Rex Lawson. Don't 
Nigerian highlife legend Cardinal Rex Jim Lawson. I'm Georges Collinet with Hip Deep in the Niger Delta on Afropop Worldwide. Major support for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the National Endowment for the Arts. Rex Lawson meant so much to not only the Nigerian populace, but to the entire West African sub-region. Rex Lawson sang many pieces in different languages, especially the Calabari languages, using the Calabari idioms. He was quite a visionary, very creative, very innovative. He was an illustrious Niger Delta sound, an illustrious Calabari sound, an illustrious River State sound. Cardinal Rex Jin Lawson. A ringing endorsement from Professor Onye Nwampa. Rex grew up in Buguma village in the region known as Calabar, near Nigeria's eastern border with Cameroon. That's where, as a child, he became well-versed in the region's traditional music. Here in Nigeria, music is used for various events. Church activity, social activity, the farming season and the harvesting season, them giving ceremonies, birthday ceremonies, these would all have music, yes. And so, as a child, you are naturally involved in music making. Court, we met Princess Lawson, Rex's oldest daughter. She was just six years old when Rex died in a tragic road accident in 1971. I don't think there is another person like him on this earth. He was a great man. Sometimes I feel I was supposed to meet him, to know him more better. That vacuum is still there. You know, the pain of not knowing my dad. And we met Princess's son, Frederick Rex, a popular DJ in Port Harcourt these days. A lot of people just heard the name Rex Lawson, but they don't know the mystery behind him. He was born in a polygamous family, and from his own mother, all the children she gave birth to died. So his father refused to take care of him. He was afraid if he would die also. Um, the name given to him, Rex, he called himself Rex. His name was Eric Osima. The father refused to name him. Meaning in Calabari language, don't give him a name. He's not worthy of any name. Mm. That's Eric Osima. But he called himself Rex, while Lawson is the compound's name. His mother gave him to a church. He grew up under a church. He left Buguma just to continue his education in, at Bakana. That's where he learned how to play the trumpet. So after some time, they did not see him again. They thought he was dead. Then he moved to Ghana, from Ghana to Kemero, before coming back to Nigeria. When he came back to Nigeria, a lot of people don't understand where he was coming from because of the language. You know, all this area was under the eastern region then. The Nanja Delta was not known. A lot of people don't know that a tribe named Calabari do exist. As Frederick says, despite their rich culture, Calabaris, along with other riverine people of the Niger Delta, were not well known in Nigeria. But that would change. High life was booming in the early 60s, and Rex, having played with a number of top bands, was about to become one of the biggest stars. Following the end of the First World War, Second World War, the servicemen came back. And many of them came back with Western instruments, brass instruments, uh, marching band instruments, and so on. event that made them crowned in the king of our life. Fela was also part of it. Victor Laya was there, v Victor Waifu was there, Bobby Benson was there, top musicians then. 
and everybody has his own style of singing, but his was so different from the other person. After they must have played their own, he came up, instead of playing his normal trumpet, he came out with this native drum and he was playing before the rhythm of the music started. Wow, everybody was, that's the winner. There's no need to argue over it. That's how they crowned him the king of Ireland. And that was where they called him bishop. The Eagles <laughs> gave him bishop. Yeah. Rex Lawson was called pastor, then bishop, then cardinal. People joke that if he'd live longer, well, he'd been pope. He was riding a wave of popularity in the heyday of high life. Vinyl records and the gramophone, they were buying them, they were playing them. You start a tune, before you know it, everybody's singing. The music was talking about the events of the society, social, political, religious, anything. It was just picking every human folly, you know, even human condition. Like, there's no condition that is permanent in this world. You can be a rich man today, tomorrow you become poor. You can be a poor man today, tomorrow you become rich. Song he sang, He was telling his mother's elder sister that I'm at Onisha now. I'm here to make money. Please wait for me. And after everything, she died. He said, Why didn't you wait for me? You died without waiting for me. That was the message. Auntie Awalamwe, Ibari Kuruwae, Yeah, Awalamwe, Auntie Awalamwe, Okay, Ibari in Rex Lawson, you will enjoy very many things. One will be his stage presence. Two will be his trumpet motif. Three will be the thematic structure and the simplicity of the melodies, even if you do not know that you will just sing along. And of course, the section that he will reserve for just percussion only. The Western instruments will not play just purely African instruments, nothing else. And most of that percussion was played by Anthony Odili the last surviving member of Rex Lawson's band. We were lucky to meet him and to hear him play in Port Harcourt. They call me Papa Tony Odili. This year, I've just started my 90 years. I've played music 69 years. I came from a very poor family. At 20, I left secondary school. We're still under British Empire Day those days. I was so young, my father died. It was even against me playing music. But my mother said, My husband, leave your son. You don't know his destiny. And that is my destiny till today. I play drum set, play other instruments. But I decided to play this African percussion. Rex Lawson came out with a different branch. He played here, played here, and gained his knowledge and came back and formed his own band. We teamed up together. He made first record under Philips Niger Funo Studio on Nature, 1960-61. I am telling you what I know. I'm the only man living today. My colleagues, they are all late. I am not happy that I'm living, but... We all were not born the same day. We will not die the same day. Rex Lawson with Tony Odili on percussion. Sam Dede, a Nollywood film star and a lecturer at the University of Port Harcourt, recalls hearing echoes of tradition in high-life songs. Ikriko is a wooden instrument carved out of a tree trunk. Tony Odile was able to replicate the message of Ikriko with the three 
tear drums, talking drum. It's such a delight to watch him play or to listen to him because the Ikiriko is what is used as a means of announcing events. For instance, the death of a big chief. Rex was gifted. He picked us and we were selected blessed musicians, faithful musicians, truthful musicians. We don't do rehearsal. One thing with him, he likes to buy shinaps. British, not be our Nigerian drink. He will start to sing. He will now call the rhythm guitarist. I am singing, just back me. This is how we do our records. He's a gifted man. Take it from me, he's a gifted man. I've not seen any band leader like Rex Lawson in my life. 70 years I played at Conga. Nobody like Rex Lawson. Princess and Frederick talked about many of Rex Lawson's famously philosophical songs, like this one, Tamuno Wenibo. You are telling the people of the world that what kind of evil is in the world now? That people are so much in evil that they do not even remember God again. That is asking God to come down and save the world. Don't cry, Bapo. The religion there is ascribed not to the God and Jesus that the Christians would project, as I understand them, but religion in relation to God the Creator. Uh-huh. And then other deities who are subservient to God. It's a religion basically on the moral implication of dealings with people and their neighbor. It's not talking about Christians, not Muslim, no, no, no. His music could not be a barrier to any other faith. No, it would not be an impediment. It's talking about you as a child of God. God and humanity. Aha! Later in the program, we'll hear a high-life concert Afropop recorded at the Okrika waterfront in Port Harcourt with musicians from different generations, including Tony O'Dilly and a young singer-songwriter named Howells G. All the music I listen to, I love Resonsi more than all of them. You know why? One, the Resonsi songs are very short. I'm talking about the lyrical content. It could just be a verse and then horns, beautiful horns. And so each track has a message like, He's saying that everybody has his own day. If today is my day, why are you angry? It's a very short message that, okay, if somebody is succeeding, let him succeed. Your own turn to succeed will come. So you should not grumble about someone's else's success. The lives of Rex Lawson and his peers and everyone in eastern Nigeria were radically disrupted in the late 1960s by the Biafran Civil War. Historian Mark Levine. We're talking about Biafra where two to three million people were killed, whether starved to death or massacred. So this is one of the biggest genocides of the 20th century somewhere between the Armenian and the Jewish genocides, bigger than Cambodia. It's really an unimaginable scale that is hidden now. We can't see it unless you're going through the jungles and you see ruins of tanks or airplanes which still dot it, but almost three million dead in the space of three years in a relatively small area with a much smaller population, say, than Syria has today. We don't know what that means to experience something like that because none of us in our lifetimes in Europe or the U.S., you know, look what happened to us after 3,000 people were killed. Huh. This is an area that really touches one's emotion. 
I was a little boy at the time, and my town had to fall to what we called the Vandals. The Vandals, otherwise known as the Nigerian Army. Professor Nompa spent most of the war as a child living in refugee camps. But in the years since, he had time to reflect on the larger conflict. The Nigerian Biafra War was, to some people, the war of genocide. To some, it was a war to keep Nigeria one. To some, it was a war of liberation, a war to preserve the Christian religion. Some people will say that it was a war for the Igbos, that the Igbos wanted to secede. The truth is, oil, money, religion, ethnicity, and the egos of elite leaders all played their roles. Like any civil war, the tragedy of Biafra cannot be reduced to a single cause. But let's go back. The war came as a result of a coup that took place in 1966. At that time, Nigeria was divided into regions, and each region was under the leadership of a premier, and some premiers were killed. And they took that as something that was masterminded by the Easterners. But it was just a few majors who wanted to stop the bad governance of Nigeria, something that has not left us till today. And so, Northerners went after Easterners, predominantly the Igbos, and there was a pogrom in the north. These events, far from the Niger Delta, began a horrifying cycle of violence in eastern Nigeria. Looking back, Princess Rex Lawson's daughter sees her father as something of a prophet. You know, and he speaks about some parables about things to happen in the future. And all those things he talked about, most of them have come to pass. Like the evil of the world. He said children will kill their parents and the parents will kill their children just for money. And all these things have come to pass. The killing was still continuing of the Easterners and the not. They just killed them, butchered them, put them into train and shipped them, shipped their bodies. It was such a terrible sight. Pregnant women would just go butcher them, remove their unborn babies. It was a bad, bad way to die, mutilating human bodies. And, and then Ojuku said, well, if we don't feel secure in our own country, maybe it will be best to now ask for a different country where we can protect the indigents of the country. That was the Republic of Biafra. Military Governor Ojuku, leader of the Republic of Biafra, for 30 months, there was death and starvation in eastern Nigeria. As Mark Levine told us, it was a war of genocide. When it was over in 1970, many things had changed, including the allegiance of Rex Lawson. When he was on the side of Biafra, Rex Lawson played a highlight music that was called Hell Biafra. But when Porakot was, quote, liberated by the federal might, he played a piece that was called Gowon Special. At that time, Gowon was head of state. The Nigerians won this war in part with the divide and rule strategy. Yakubu Gowon created new states, including Rivers State, granting it a kind of autonomy. That's the liberation Professor Nwangpa refers to. Now, you might think Rex Lawson changing sides like this would be controversial, but apparently it was not. For the people of Port Harcourt, statehood was a way out of this awful war, and Rex was simply reflecting his times. 
Here is Go One Special. The Biafra War had far-reaching effects on Nigeria. For one thing, it changed popular music. In Lagos, the pure high life was to a large extent dominated by the high life stars in Eastern Nigeria. Musicians who were now confined to the war area. And then the West, the Yorubas, went back and developed juju music, apala music, more of their own native indigenous music. After the war, musicians started to build their repertoire again and playing things like uh, Happy Survival. One uh, musician you need to note is uh, Eddie Okwedi, who played a wonderful music of reconciliation named Happy Survival. In an upcoming Afropop Closer podcast, we'll explore today's resurgent Biafra movement, a disturbing development for war veterans like Anthony Odili. We should not go back to the past. Today, I'm hearing some voice, hey, Biafra, Biafra, may Christ forgive them. They should go back and ask their living grandfathers, those who saw the war will never pray for the war to come back. Let us pray for peace. Let us come back and unite. Anthony Odili, the last surviving member of Rex Lawson's band. Coming up, music and social activism in Port Harcourt and Ogodi land and live high life circa 2017. Visit Afropop.org for much more on this and other Hip Deep in Nigeria programs. I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRI, Public Radio International. Right, somebody say yeah, yeah. We're standing at the Okrika waterfront, one of the poorest neighborhoods of Port Harcourt, awaiting an unusual event, a free public high-life concert. The setting is an open-air performance space called The Shed. We'll get back to this concert a little later, but first, some background on this fascinating city. Here is our principal guide to Port Harcourt, a true friend of Afropop. I'm Michael Medemore. I grew up in Nigeria, went to my mother's school. My mother was English, but moved over here when she was 22 with my father, who was Nigerian. Michael is a filmmaker and a producer of the Oscar-nominated documentary, The Act of Killing. He's also an activist and director of a community organization based in the dense makeshift waterfront communities of Port Harcourt. He came here in 2009 to make a film about the oil industry but it turned into much more than that. Michael showed us historical maps of Port Harcourt and the Delta. Those maps tell a sad story. The violence of extraction and the social violence of segregation is inscribed in the plan of the original city. So this is the native quarters, the squat tight barracks that were made for the junior civil servants and for the police and for the workers. This is a map from an archive in the Netherlands, ostensibly drawn by 
a department of a newly independent Nigerian agency, the director of the Geographical Survey in 1962. But if you look in the other corner at the legend, you can see that it was compiled from air and ground surveys by Shell BP Petroleum Development Company. So the map of Port Harcourt is literally drawn by Shell. A massive influx of people from other parts of Nigeria flooded into Port Harcourt as a result of the oil industry, swelling the city's waterfront communities. Their informal dwellings were built on dried bricks of muddy earth, known as Chikoko. Chikoko is the fibrous mud from the mangroves. It's very dense and loamy, and people travel with canoes into the mangrove and they cut it into blocks and they pile their canoes with it and then they bring it back to shore and over years they pack it, let it settle, pack it, let it settle and then they, they build on it. Chicoco is also the name of the organization that Michael, along with Ana Bonaldo and key members of the Okrika waterfront community, now direct. Chicoco is a training ground for filmmakers, journalists, musicians, city planners, so many things. They've built a performance space, the shed, a radio station, a recording studio. In fact, the music in this segment of our program was all created by young members of the Chicoco family, including this jingle for Radio Chicoco, soon to be the voice of the community. Are you looking for news and sport and entertainment? Can go nowhere Cause you want Chikoko Radio If you're looking for a station to take your stress away Then go nowhere Cause you want Chikoko Radio It is almost impossible to describe the challenges these waterfront dwellers face. They comprise the workforce of the city and many of its students, and yet they live in unofficial dwellings without electricity, sanitation, or running water. In 2009, the previous governor of River State actually tried to bulldoze these neighborhoods with no plans as to where the residents should go. I'm gonna spank your ass, you don't try me. Hey, come on, come here. Come here, you don't try me, man. I'm gonna break your ass. Port Harcourt is a city in the creeks and along all the creeks that fringe the city you have these very dense waterfront settlements. We have maybe 49 waterfronts around the city, nearly half a million people live in them and all of them were declared for demolition in, in 2009. Michael first came to Port Harcourt to document these forced evictions for Amnesty International. He wound up staying and founded Chicoco. Chicoco activists ultimately rallied local residents and together they managed to stop the evictions. Here's film star and lecturer at University of Port Harcourt, Sam Dede. If you know the number of people who reside in these waterfronts, it's amazing, really, really amazing, the numbers. There's people go from these places to walk in elite places like banks, but nowhere else to live, they live in the waterfronts, in those ramshackled shanties. Conditions have remained desperate, and the locals, especially youth, are brutally preyed upon by criminals and corrupt police and military. They behave like ex-convicts, like people that have lived in prison for years. They are not happy. They don't want to see you happy. They just like this wickedness. Show you Arab. In Nigeria, we call it Arab. When someone oppresses you or makes you feel bad. They're in uniform. They wear boots. You know, they're just like people that are going to chase some robbers. But they don't chase some robbers. They'll just stand on the street and wait for you to come out. You might just be walking with your friend. They'll just slap you. Where are you going to? Where are you going to? Yeah. That's Saint Mercy, a young lady from Port Harcourt and a gifted singer and rapper. I hear voices, yet all I see is kept silent. Police brutality and politics that cause violence. I hear sirens, ambulance with dead bodies of the miners. 
after we vote, they stop to mind us. Watch their hands off our case like Pontius Pilate. Propaganda and lies, now they use bias. These men don't see us. Not only will they see them, yet they say that we need them. Our money, they sweet them. All these things, now they make me vest quick. They make us promises and when they win, they forget quick. Make the young ones think of death quick. The system is sick. If you look at the videos and demonstrations, events, we started seeing that music was important. Actually, there was a lot of music, there was a lot of singing. And we started thinking about the relationship between music making and movement building. Then Mark came along. Like, here's the song. Would you like to record on it? And they were like, what? Okay, what is it? Fela Kuti. After kids were like, who's Fela Kuti? You need to know who Fela Kuti is. And here's the song. And they started singing the first take. They just came up with this new chorus and they were just singing about their lives and it was beautiful. musicians improvising new lyrics to Fela Kuti's No Agreement. We had noticed we had a lot of people with wonderful voices, lots of talent, but there was a real absence of urgency in the music, a kind of disconnection from lots of the issues, and we just wanted to create a space in which people could reconnect with actually what was important to them. Musicians earn money if they earn money, by playing for politicians or businessmen. It's the classic patronage model. And another reason is just the culture that goes right across from prosperity preaching to the culture of bling. Like people just want cash. There's so many spaces where there is really nothing but ostentatious displays of wealth. St. Mercy was lucky to have a mentor at school a music teacher and producer who helped to hone her skills. But she told us it was during the year she spent at Chicoco that she really found her voice. Here's a song she sent us since our visit to the Delta, a collaboration with producer Abidi. Not every man can survive in the streets where I come from. Don't know about heaven, I know hell, cause I was raised in a dungeon. I've been through the fire when I have even praised the storm. Been to the point where I thought maybe I should raise my guns Not every man can survive in the streets where I come from Don't know about heaven, I know hell cause I was raised in a dungeon I've been through the fire when I have even praised the storm Been through the point where I thought that maybe I should raise my guns Yeah And you can hear this entire song and more of the music in this program in a Niger Delta mixtape available at afropop.org. In a moment, we'll visit nearby Ogoni land where Niger Delta oil extraction has wrecked havoc on the environment. By the way, today much of the extraction is being done by local youth, known as tappers or bunkerers. They break the pipelines and throw out the crude 
and then they go cook it somewhere else. They have a local refinery where they cook the oil, get out the fuel, the kerosene, the condescents, the diesel, and they just sell it locally. Locals call these criminal gang members cultists, and Saint Mercy says there is a complex relationship between cultists and rappers. If they had their way, and if things were not like this, maybe some of them would not have joined cultism. Maybe they would have followed their own dreams. Because there are most of them that like music. They love rap. Most of them can even rap. But because of the kind of things they're involved in, they don't feel like they can anymore. So for us that are still not gone too deep in the wrong direction, they take it like we're lucky, we're fortunate, we should just keep up. St. Mercy says she doesn't listen much to the big hip-hop and Niger pop artists out of Lagos. No, there are better underground rappers here that are not known. They sing, you know, sing a reality in their songs, but they are not known because the market is not interested. They want you to sing about the girl, just be up. Don't come down, don't, don't wash your dirty linens outside, I guess that's what they call it. It's Bobby Case, please. Soxy, another local artist in the Chikoko family. He's name-checking waterfront neighborhoods, Bayalsa, Okrika, Abuja, living in the creek. One day at the Chikoko shed, we met the rapper King Diari, a young man with a sad story. My name is Andre Derry, best known as King Diari. That's my stage name. I'm a rapper and a mapper as well, and training Chikoko radio. That's just me. Andre started out dancing and singing in church. His dad used to sit him down and get him to listen to Fela. So whenever my dad wants to play Fela Kuti for me, I'll be like, Daddy, you have your time to play your own. Then in an hour, call me back. You play Michael Jackson for me. I don't want to listen to Fela Kuti. He's not dancing, you know? And I have interest in dancing. So we're having problems then. Most of the times in the morning, I'll say, Daddy, you play your own in the morning. In the afternoon, when I'm back from school, I want to watch Michael Jackson. You know, that's just the... <laughs> yeah. Well, these days, André has his own little boy. And he makes his son listen to Nigerian singer-songwriter Asha. But back then, André fell in love with hip-hop. Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Eminem. He started rapping in church, but it didn't last. Too many restrictions on language and message. Andre's artistic awakening came with the sudden death of his father. He wasn't sick. Actually, it was two weeks after I lost my granddad and I came down to Potako to meet with my dad. The following day morning, after washing his car, he left the house and he went to church. On his way coming back from church, uh, there was this truck that bashed his car from the back and he fell off the bridge. And, and Andre wrote a song for his father. One, he says, he can't perform without the emotion overwhelming him. But he gave it a try for us. <sighs> I wish you had beef that day I never washed that car. Oh, I wish I got you mad and you didn't got to go out. I wish you had a fight with mama, maybe stumble and fall when having your back. Maybe break your leg or something. Andre Derry, aka King DRE, with the song Every Day, written for his late father. Like Saint Mercy, Andre is also well acquainted with the violence and criminality of the waterfront. But he says that's not the whole story. 
I was living in one of the most dangerous waterfronts in Port Harcourt, which is Abuja waterfront. People get scared to visit that place, really. There you find drug dealers, you find different kinds of personalities there. It's more like a safe heaven for, for criminals, like the government will put it. But there are still good people there though. I lived there, but I managed to live a positive life. There are a lot of good people there, believe me. Andre also knows that good and bad are not always easy to distinguish. He points out that Port Harcourt's gangs, or cults, have roots in university fraternities, intellectual cadres who later moved into the rough and tumble of Nigerian politics. All you need in life is money, power and respect. If you don't have that, then forget it. So when they leave school, when they go into politics, they need these street wings to be able to clear road for them, like they put it, to do small uglies for us. Small uglies. That's chilling, I tell you. André and Saint Mercy have a lot to say about life and art on the Port Harcourt waterfront. Visit afropop.org for more. One place the good people of Port Harcourt gather often is the many, many large churches throughout the city. We are hearing a high-life gospel band playing for thousands under a stadium-sized tent on a Sunday morning at the Omega Power Ministry, OPM. service we attended, the pastor, high on scaffolding, above the crowd, exhorted them to repeat his words, in this case, about the people you should meet and those you should miss. By the power in the blood of Jesus Christ, I must meet those I'm supposed to miss, and I must miss those I'm supposed to miss. Everywhere you go in Port Harcourt, you see billboards promising success by grace, achieve greatness, indisputable victory, five nights of glory, seven days of covenant renewal, feast of miracles crusade, on and on. These so-called prosperity ministries hold out tantalizing hope to the hopeless. What we saw at OPM was actually a literal mountain of cash passing from congregants to the church. People down here are committing more of their challenges and their problems to God in prayer. They're praying with the hope that God, one way or the other, will change the thinking of the powers that be. It's agonizing. People have been living a chain of human sorrow from one government to the other, from one government to the other. But churches do support their communities. OPM is sponsoring student scholarships and also the first 40 participants in an ambitious new program called Trigger to Guitar. The idea there is to lure young people out of cultism and into music. So are these churches aiding their community or hurting them? Well, you decide. Now let's join producer Benningere as he leaves Port Harcourt to venture into the Delta region most affected by oil extraction, Ogoni land. We left town early to the sound of roosters and warning doves. Visiting Ogoni land can be dangerous, and our plan was to get in and out in a single morning. Hip Deep scholar Mark Levine was along, and he knows the territory well. He'd arranged for a young hip-hop artist, MCK, to meet us along the road and guide us into the region called Gokana. Hello. Good morning. MCK? Yeah. Danny, nice to meet you. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. morning. Yeah. What's up, brother? Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. The Niger Delta was one of the most diverse and important biosystems on Earth. I mean, it's on par, or it was on par, 
with the Amazon. That's how many species it held and how diverse it was. We would never see that now because the vast majority of it is simply gone. Ogoniland is a territory along the Niger Delta that has been inhabited since time immemorial. These are very strong traditional communities that have a very vibrant culture. The river supplied everything. They were fishermen, they were farmers, they also had industry, they were trying to modernize themselves, and they could have. But then the oil industry started and almost no care was given to the environmental consequences because these people didn't have a voice anyway. All of the pipelines just routinely spilled and over the decades had a tremendously negative impact in 2004 and then again in 2009. There were these massive spills and they essentially wiped out a large section of the river and all the territory surrounding it. And we're talking a scale that most of us in Europe or the U.S. simply can't fathom because it would never be allowed to get that bad. The oil and the toxins go 13 feet or more below the bottom of the riverbed and hundreds of meters off to the shores. So all of this earth is completely toxic. We had heard the outgoing Nigerian Minister of Environment speaking hopefully on the radio in Port Harcourt. Uh, um, around cleanup and results for people in Ogoniland. So we will be do our best and be sure that all parties don't politicize this. Uh, and that's why we have so many um, committees uh, in place that are not politicized. They are of the community. Um, so I think everybody is trying. I'm sure that uh, we will have challenges, but um, I think the intention is to make sure that this is not politicized. In 2011, the United Nations Environmental Program recommended a bill billion dollars over 25 years for a cleanup in Ogoni land. But as we arrived to meet Ogoni High Chief Eric Doe at the site of his former home, Mark noted that this was hardly adequate. It was basically a settlement where it would clean up downstream, but not clean up here. But in order to clean the river here, they would need to dredge 15 feet down. And you can see how big the river is. You know, 100 miles of dredging 15 feet down. It's not even a bad joke, you know? I saw your car going, yeah. so I took off from where Great. I was staying. Great. To go and quickly come and meet Great. you. Great. Yeah, good mm. to meet you too. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you. Chief Eric Doe showed us the ruined fish farm that used to feed his community, the abandoned home that he and his family used to live in, and the river, denuded of mangroves that used to provide shelter for fish and other aquatic life. For him, there was one clear culprit, shell oil. Shell came here to explore oil long ago in the 50s. And right from then, they have not changed their pipelines. Where I'm facing now is Pumu oil field. Then where I'm backing now is called Bodo West. These are two oil fields owned by Shell Petroleum Development Company of Nigeria. And these two oil fields, their pipelines are overaged and they fail to replace the pipes. And because of that, it has been corroded and there have been series of spills. Honestly, to clean up this environment is not an easy task. Very difficult task to clean this environment. It requires professionals, just as they clean the Gulf of Mexico. But what Shell does is to look for local contractors that doesn't have the capability of cleaning. For example, look at this pond. Instead of giving money to an international firm capable of doing this kind of job, they will give peanuts to the local contractor. Divide and rule system. That is what is killing our Nigeria. And people are unable to tell them the truth. There is one group Chief Doe believes can tell the truth, musicians. That's why he gathered a group of local rappers and singers to meet with us. Top of the list, MCK. January money, you know, people were expecting payment of the compensation due to the 2009 speed that emanated as a result of equipment failure. So the whole community people were optimistic that they would be paid a huge sum of money that they will use in developing themselves. So MCK now sang the music, January Money. 
that uh, community people should wait. By January, when Shell was going to pay some money, they'll enjoy the money in a very good way. But when the money came, it was peanut. My name is MCK from Bulosuri in Gokana, local government area. I was a fisherman because my father left me very early. I decided to be a musician because I want to send a message on what is happening in my country that is affecting the poor people and affecting the youth. I cannot go to the government and tell them, but I can say this to the music and people will hear it. Everybody they hold on for me, oh yeah, come and shake your body, come and wanna hold on for me, oh yeah, some fair for me, everybody they hold on for me, oh yeah, come and shake your body, come and wanna hold on for me. In the ruins of Chief Doe's family home, we also met a singer called T-Pen, who sang an a cappella song mentioning Agoni rights activist Ken Sarawiwa, who was executed by the Nigerian government in 1995. When I remember Ken Sarawiwa, tears from my eyes. He said that, oh, Gunny, let's rise up and fight for our right. So when I remember Ken Saluwewa, all the leaders in Ogoni, tears from my eyes. They sent army, sent and raped our daughters, kills, and sent out away to Iran. We don't have no place to go. Let the whole world hear that we are fighting for our right. And we met a local Rasta reggae singer named Tumsi. Save your children. Greetings in the name of the Almighty Jah. We don't have anybody, nobody for to send us school, anything. You know, we just live by God Almighty. Except God Almighty, we are nothing. Young artists also have another mentor, a veteran Agoniland journalist named Aloy Kenham, aka Iron Lee. He told us what lies behind the violence now plaguing Ogoniland. What is happening in Ogoni today, violence-wise, is alien to us. It is mostly one community rising against another, particularly due to famine issue. That is, I own this piece of land, I own this one. Uh, that is boundary problem. And I have also discovered as a journalist going around, one of the things that promotes violence is idleness. 80% of youth in Gokana and in Ogoni have nothing doing. They are not doing anything. Idleness. This is what Chief Doe points to as well. If you give the youth of Agoniland no opportunities, no support, no choices, you can't be surprised when they choose criminality. But as both the chief and the journalists say, they could choose music. Music remains the most powerful instrument to solving situations. Music, that is true music, you reach anywhere in the world. Ask people to calm down, they will calm down. When you want them to rise against a certain situation, they will. I'm asking them to look at those problems that are facing us and highlight them through music. Yes, sir. Through the music, tell them, hey, we voted you. Bring the account. Why did you spend this? And that's why my music will also focus. Yes, sir. Nati Dread, Mina Rasta. I'm blessed. Ja guide you itinerary. Ja Rasta Fire. There's a lot of finger-pointing in this story, and the presence of those tappers and cultists St. Mercy and others talked about provide an easy scapegoat. But Chief Doe and others point out that the entire business of illegal tapping and trading could never happen without the cooperation of Shell Nigeria. When they bring their contractors here, they are the people deceiving the community boys, telling them what to do and make money, I'm telling you. And if you doubt that, 
Consider what happened to the militants of the early 2000s, the ones who helped drive oil extraction offshore, leaving all this devastation behind. At a certain point, the government just decided it was cheaper to pay them off and a lot of these big militants, the so-called pirates of the Niger Delta, who were kidnapping lots of oil workers and tapping the lines, changed from their fatigues into nice suits, went and bought homes in the outskirts of Abuja and are living like kings there now, and they've left the Delta. But all the boys that they ran, so to speak, were without income, without patronage, and now they've taken over, perhaps with the aid of officials from Shell Nigeria, to continue tapping the oil in an even more environmentally destructive manner and selling it on the open market where it goes throughout West Africa and, as some claim, all the way to Europe. We need to be clear that Shell works hand-in-hand -hand with the Nigerian government, and their shared neglect of local communities is part of a longer history of neglect in the Niger Delta. But Chief Doe and his people believe musicians can play a role in turning things around. Music has traditionally been the way people communicated with power. You know, in the traditional communities that today comprise Nigeria, the musicians were the one group that no one could touch. They were like the fool, you know, they were the jester, the tricksters. They were the ones who were allowed to speak truth to the chief or the king or the leaders of the community. And when the leaders of the community got too out of line or too rapacious, it was the musicians who spoke to them and they couldn't touch them because if they did, there would be a revolt. And in a way, I think it's quite interesting that even though someone like Fela was, you know, beaten, tortured, imprisoned, he still wasn't killed. He still was allowed to act, whereas Ken Sarawiwa was framed and then hung. We can start now. As we left, the musicians gave us a taste of local tradition. Well, we've heard about a lot of tribulation and suffering on this program, but there is something else we heard often in Nigeria, and perhaps Professor Nwampa said it best. Do you know what? Nigerians are wonderful people. I've never seen a people that in the midst of suffering, they're still smiling, going about their businesses as if nothing is happening. Amazing. Amazing. And in that spirit, we leave you with music Afropop Worldwide recorded live at The Shed on the Port Harcourt waterfront. Musicians, young and old, took the stage, including Anthony Odili on percussion and a veteran of the Rex Lawson tribute band, Isaac Onate on guitar. For more of this concert, visit afropop.org and check out our Niger Delta mixtape. Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities, the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art, and PRI, 
public radio international affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. Additional support for Afropop Worldwide comes from Carnegie Hall, presenting three-time Grammy winner Angelique Kidjo, returning to Carnegie Hall with an all-star band and special guests. Tickets at carnegiehall.org. And from Six Degrees Records, presenting Samba, the brand new album from Vieux Farcaturé, available now and on tour through May. Thanks to our hip-deep scholars Onye Nyongpa, Anthony Okoro, and Mark Levine for their help with this program. And special thanks to Michael Wemedimo, Anna Bonaldo, and the whole Chikoko family for your music and your fantastic dedication and spirit. Visit afropop.org for interviews and a mixtape to accompany this program. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Banning Air with help from Sean Barlow. Join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer and co-producer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by Greg Oldman and Stephanie Lebeau. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director for new media is Akornefa Achia. And I am Georges Collinet. Public Radio International.